Welcome everyone. My name is Jim Lair. Welcome to the training, the powerhouse coach within you, a breakthrough insight for competitive athletes and teams. I sincerely hope you will find real value in the concepts that are presented in this audio program. I'm 80 years old. For 45 years, I've immersed myself in the mysterious world of high performance. I've written 18 books on the subject and have been inducted into four halls of fame in the process. I think it's likely that I've had the opportunity to work with more world-class performers from more diverse fields than most anyone. Put another way, I have had more teachers than most anyone. Every athlete, every team, every high-stress application represented a living, learning lab for me, and I am still learning. At the Human Performance Institute, a company I co-founded in 1992 and eventually sold to Johnson & Johnson, we trained more than 250,000 high-level performers from every sector of sport, medicine, law enforcement, military, and business. Prior to starting the Institute, I served as the Director of Sports Science and Sports Psychology for the Nick Bolletieri Tennis Academy for six years, where hundreds of the best tennis players in the world trained. After selling the Institute, I continued to work with superstars from the NBA, men's and women's professional tennis, Major League Baseball, PGA and LPGA stars, and on and on. I've been privileged to work with 17 number one athletes in the world in their sport, from boxing to ice hockey, and from race car driving to sumo wrestling. The only reason I mention any of this about me is that considering my experience, I'm hoping you will seriously consider what I will be presenting in this podcast. As I have already said, I have learned something valuable from every person or team I have attempted to help. And I've had some world-class teachers for sure. I often felt I learned more from them than they learned from me. As I approach trail's end of my life, I am immensely grateful for the living lab that I enjoyed for most of my professional life. Every one of the 18 books I have written reflected some new breakthrough insight that I hoped would demystify the elusive mind-body connection involved in performing to one's best under pressure, igniting one's full potential in the crucible of high stress is like solving a Rubik's Cube that has no beginning and no end. I love science, love research, and I'm addicted to learning. I consider myself to be a performance psychologist with one foot in the applied world and the other foot in the research world. Okay, let's get started. Why this podcast? In the last three years, an insight has emerged that I believe might be the most important of my entire professional career. 
and the insight was directly in front of me the whole time, hiding in plain sight, but for whatever reason, I couldn't see it. Once I grasp the core insight, exciting new practical learnings started materializing almost immediately. I've been testing the training concept for three years with my clients, and I've never been more encouraged by the results. No pre- or post-validation studies have been done, so I continue to curb my enthusiasm until such research has been conducted. In spite of this, my own experience has repeatedly confirmed the value of the training concepts presented in this podcast. I am both eager and excited to share what took me a lifetime to understand. Let's begin the training with a few questions. What kind of coach are you to yourself in your competitive sport? Have you ever even thought of yourself as a coach to yourself? And what kind of coach are you to yourself in your life in general? As you reflect on the coaching advice you give yourself, rate yourself on both sport and general life on a scale from one, definitely not helpful, to five, definitely a big help. Here's another question. Are you even aware you have an inner voice speaking to you, coaching you? How about this question? Would you be proud if the way you speak to yourself were made public? Would you be mortified, embarrassed, or even ashamed? Here's another question. Would you want your inner voice embedded in the heads of those you love the most? Is your inner coaching voice more critical or encouraging? More sarcastic or inspiring? More cynical or motivating? More fearful or challenging? Is the message and tone of your inner coaching voice more on the angry and annoying side or on the positive and confidence-building side? How about this question? Is your self-coaching more fantasy-based or reality-based? In other words, is your inner voice coaching grounded in the real world? Whether you're aware of it or not, Everyone possesses an inner coaching voice, an advisor that plays a central role in where they end up in life, in their competitive success, in their happiness and fulfillment in life, and in what kind of person they ultimately become. Your skilled inner voice, I have come to understand, is your powerhouse, your superpower. Evidence suggests that our inner voice starts forming very early in life, even in the womb prior to birth. The auditory cortex of the developing fetus apparently can pick up sounds from parents, grandparents, and siblings, and gradually by the age of five, a primitive inner voice narrative is formed. As the child develops, continued inputs from public voices of parents and grandparents, teachers, coaches, peers, and any number of authority figures influence the formation of one's inner coach. The impact of those public voices can range from tremendously constructive to tragically dysfunctional. Day after day, year after year, one's inner voice takes shape 
from the accumulation of the public voices of others, most importantly in the early years of development. One of the most important insights I had as a father to my three sons was that the way I speak to each of them will one day be how they speak to themselves, their inner voice. When I came to realize the impact that my public voice could have on the formation of their inner voice, it changed everything. My most recent book, co-authored by Dr. Sheila Olson, is entitled Wise Decisions. This book introduced the concept of your own decision advisor, which became Yoda, Y-O-D-A. This is not the Yoda of Star Wars. This is a reference to the most important coach you will ever have in your life. The one that no one hears but you, your inner voice. In my experience, most fail to realize the extraordinary power their inner voice, their Yoda, possesses in every dimension of life. And that includes me. I only wish I had come to the realization of these understandings much earlier in my career. Okay, we all have an inner voice, so let's start there, be it skilled or unskilled. If your father's or mother's or coach's public voice was very critical, perfectionistic, negative, or even brutal, do not be surprised if their public voice is somehow reflected in the tone and the content of your private inner voice in some way. The greatest asset a parent can help develop in their children is a brilliant, wise inner coach, a world-class Yoda. I refer to the inner voice you have unknowingly acquired from your life experience as IV-1. Everyone's IV-1 can use some upgrading, and some need it more than others. This podcast is taking your current untrained inner voice, IV-1, to a whole new level of coaching excellence. We will call this IV-2 because so much is at stake. The training process laid out in this podcast should continue in some form for the rest of your life. It is truly that important. Some important things to consider. In a real sense, your inner voice is the brain speaking to itself. What you say to yourself privately is like an IV drip going directly into your brain. That's precisely why the tone and content of the messages you send yourself are so important. Athletes often mistakenly believe that what they are thinking has little or no impact on their brains or performance. It's it's like moving air around inside their heads. Nothing could be further from the truth. The neuroprocessor between your ears operates like a word and image sensitive computer. Words and images matter. Every word and every image creates a neurological trace, and those repeated most often have the greatest potential impact on brain function. Your brain exists to help you survive and to get you what you want and need in life to survive. It's always listening and always waiting for instructions from you. The command center for your inner self-coaching is capable of receiving a vast array of neurological signals from geographically diverse regions of the brain. 
Such inputs are critical in effective self-coaching. Cutting-edge neuroscience suggests that the human insula, located deep in the lateral sulcus of the fissure that separates the temporal lobe from the parietal and frontal lobes, is centrally involved. Important also are the amygdala, the hippocampus, and the orbital frontal cortex. Whether conscious or not, our brains are referencing something when we coach ourselves. An important objective of this podcast is providing your central command center, your Yoda, with whatever information is necessary so you can become a brilliant coach to yourself, particularly when you are competing under stress. For that to happen, filling the six inches of space between your ears with clear, concise coaching messaging that reflects exactly what you really want is crucial. Mixed signals or conflicting messages can tragically undermine how the brain functions under stress. Examples are, you're so stupid. What a disappointment you are. All this training is a complete waste of time for me. I'm beyond hope. A brilliant competitive brain, I will tell you, I've learned is not normal. It requires constant and continuous upgrades and training, refinements. Again, the objective of this program is to take your untrained inner coaching voice, IV1, to a trained inner coach, IV2, that reflects a wise, enlightened, and informed personal coach. So let's start with step one. Step one is becoming acutely aware of the tone and the content of your current inner voice when competing, particularly when under stress and not performing well. I would like for you to purchase a journal and record as accurately as possible, from memory of course, how you coached yourself, your inner voice, during rough moments both in competition and in your life in general. We learn the most about who we are in these difficult moments. Do this step for a minimum of one week, answering these questions in your journal after you do your honest reflection. And the questions are, what kind of coach were you to yourself at the end of the day? Give yourself an A through an F. Are you satisfied with the tone and content of your self-coaching? A through F. And are you willing to commit energy and time to improve your inner voice coaching? Yes or no. Step two. Take a moment to reflect on who are your heroes in your sport? What you might consider to be the most brilliant competitors that you're aware of, that you would like to emulate competitively. Try to recall seeing them in challenging moments and imagine what their inner voice must have been saying to them. What kind of inner coach did they have to help them achieve this remarkable world-class competitive success? Here are just some possible examples and choices you might have. Mia Hamm in soccer. Carrie Strug in gymnastics. Lindsey Vaughn in skiing. Tom Brady in football. Michael Jordan in basketball, Gordy Howe in hockey, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, or Carlos Alcarez in men's tennis, Iga Swiatek, Monica Salas, 
or even go as far back as Steffi Graf in women's tennis, Annika Sornstan in golf, Scotty Scheffler in golf, Usain Bolt in track and field. An important insight is that one's competitive strength is evidenced most clearly and certainly in moments of great adversity and crisis. Okay, now step three. Begin scripting in your journal how you want to coach yourself in the following situations. Select two or three to write about daily. For example, when you're nervous, when you've made a costly mistake, when you're not mentally focused in the now, when anger starts swelling up inside of you, when your muscles feel tight, when you're too worried about the outcome, when you're not feeling well, when you have lots of personal problems invading your competitive space, when you're low on energy, when you've been thinking too much, you're too analytical, when your mind is racing, when you have lost your confidence, when you can't stand your opponent, when you do not see eye to eye with your coach, when you're being cheated, when you have a lot of important people watching the event, when it's obvious that you're gonna lose the contest, when all the pressure is on you because everyone expects you to win, when you're having a truly bad competitive day, when almost everyone watching is cheering for your opponent, when your parents are giving you the evil eye on the sidelines because they're very disappointed in how you're performing, when the weather is extremely hot or cold or windy, when you are competing against your best friend, someone you never play well against, when you've been benched for making too many mistakes, when your attitude is turning decidedly negative, when you're playing so badly you want to quit. Here's another important insight. You are to coach yourself the way you would coach your best friend who was in the very same situation that you're in. You are to speak to yourself the way you would speak to them to help them perform better in that situation. Here are some examples. You got this. Let it go. More intensity and energy. Come on. Relax and take a deep breath. Believe in yourself. Okay, right here, right now. Reset. Let it go in the past. Be aggressive. Courage. Be courageous. You love pressure. Dig deep. Keep learning and looking for answers. Use this opportunity to get better, win or lose. Never, never give up. You show your inner strength when things get rough. Hold your ground. This is where you are right now. Focus on your target. Control your eyes. These are just suggestions, but because you are the person who knows you best, you'll know what to say, how much to say, 
and the right time to say it. And the inside is very simple. No one knows you better than you do. You are the best person to provide the most important coaching advice moment to moment during tough times. Here are two questions to think about. Is your inner coaching voice becoming better, more positive and constructive because of your competitive sport? Or is it getting worse, more critical and discouraging? And here's another one. Number two, is it possible to achieve competitive success and have a very critical and demeaning inner voice? The answer to the second question is clearly yes from my experience. But fighting yourself and your opponent or opponents is literally a tragic waste of energy. You're waging a war on two fronts, which simply complicate your task of bringing out your best. Some players have mistakenly come to believe that if they're not rough or hard on themselves for mistakes and subpar play, they will continue to make mistakes and perform poorly. By berating themselves and chastising themselves, performance levels will improve. Athletes who have had coaches and parents who follow that way of thinking are more likely to use punitive and even abusive self-talk to elevate their play. Such thinking, from my experience, is very misguided. Another important insight from all of this, the human brain stores negative or painful experiences far more readily than positive ones. Punitive self-coaching simply amplifies and highlights mistakes in poor play. Doing so makes them more accessible to memory. Experience has repeatedly shown that positive and constructive images and memories will serve to enhance performance better than negative ones. Okay, let's look at step four. Step four is becoming a skilled storyteller to yourself and others. Everything we say publicly and everything we say privately is but a story, our story. Unfortunately, we do not have direct contact with the real world. What we do have is data streaming in from our five sensory portals, sight, hearing, touch, taste, and smell. Our brains must make sense out of this incoming data or total chaos would ensue. The meaning we give the data becomes our story, and the master storyteller is our inner voice. The stories we tell publicly or privately to ourselves can either contribute to our competitive success or hinder it. Remember, words matter to our neuroprocessor, and when strung together, form a story. Our stories represent our take on reality, our version of the real world. Our stories can be true, false, partially true, partially false, can be harmful, helpful, devastating, inspiring, or self-defeating. From my experience, great competitors must be skilled and precise storytellers. More important than what happens to you during competition is the story you tell yourself and others about what happened. The exact same facts can be used to create two entirely different stories, two vastly different versions of reality. 
Every story you tell yourself or others creates a neurological trace that fosters competitive success or hurts it. Stories that are repeated often, very often, whether true or not, whether harmful or not, get the most neurological traction. Famed neuroscientist Donald Hebb discovered that cells that fire together, wire together. Stories that associate competition with fun and challenge, excitement, the spirit of adventure, and so forth, form vastly different neural networks than stories that associate competition with pressure, threat, fear, disappointment, or self-criticism. Here are the guidelines for great storytelling, both private and public, that, from my experience, enhance competitive success. Number one, the story is true and aligned with the existing facts. It's not a work of fiction. Number two, the story is aligned with your best self, reflects the best part of you, and is consistent with your core values and beliefs. Number three, the story takes you where you want to go in life, where you want to go competitively. Number four, the story is one that you'd be proud to share with others if made completely public. Number five, the story inspires you to take concrete action. And number six, the story provides you with a genuine sense of hope and optimism for your future. Let's look at four stories that do not fit the six guidelines, and let's look at four that do. Story one, it's around tennis. Here are the indisputable facts. You lost in straight sets to someone who has a lower ranking than you have. You double faulted eight times in the match. You threw your rocket twice in anger and received a point penalty. You accused your opponent of cheating twice but did not call for a line judge. You lost in the first round and were the third seed. You displayed a lot of negative emotion in both sets. So here's story one that does not meet the six guidelines. This is the worst loss I think I've ever had. He's a pusher and a cheat. How could I not get angry and frustrated losing to a zero like him? The win, my opponent, and slow courts drove me crazy. It was like a conspiracy against me. It was just bad luck that I drew him in the first round. Story one that does fit the six rules. I didn't prepare myself well mentally for the match. My mindset was that there was no way I could lose to him. I've always had trouble playing pushers, particularly on slow courts or in windy conditions. This is a wake-up call for me. I clearly need to have more respect for players who can run every ball down and rarely make unforced errors. I'm also not proud of how I handle the situation emotionally. I need a lot of work there as well. I clearly need to be more patient and more positive with myself. I've got a lot to learn, and I'm ready to get started right now. I'm looking forward to playing against him again. And so this is an action item for you. I'd like for you to write a constructive version in your journal about a problem you are currently having and read it multiple times. See if, in fact, it meets the six guidelines for constructive storytelling.
All right, let's look at story two. This is about football. Here are the indisputable facts. You have pulled a hamstring that will prevent you from competing for a minimum of two weeks. You will miss two of the most important games of the season. As the starting quarterback being out for the next two games lowers the chances of your team making the playoffs. And you feel you have let the team down and are very distraught. So here's story two that does not fit the six guidelines. Why do I constantly have such bad luck? This is my senior year and I've blown it. I've worked so hard all year to get into this position and now some stupid injury derails everything I've worked for, everything I've hoped for. If our second string quarterback pulls the game out over the next two weeks by some miracle, he'll be the hero. I don't deserve this. Story two that does fit the six guidelines. I didn't put all this work and sacrifice in to give up now. We can still make the playoffs. I'm going to help our backup quarterback get this job done. We are not out of this by any means. I'm going to do my physical therapy with the expectation that I will make the playoffs and I'll be fully ready to take command. I'm going to continue to lead this team from the sidelines. So again, an action item for you. I want you to write a constructive story in your journal. Pick another problem that you're currently having difficulty with, and I want you to write a story that's consistent with the six guidelines, and I want you to read it multiple times. All right, story three. This is about golf. Here are the indisputable facts. Your average number of putts per round for the last two years is 33. The average for the best players on the PGA Tour is 28. All the other components of your game are tour level. Your putts per round have not improved in the last three years. You have little confidence in your ability to make putts under pressure. And you feel yourself get shaky and tight over putts when the pressure is on. Story three that does not fit the six guidelines. I've tried everything and nothing really helps. If it weren't for my damn putting, I would be one of the very best players on the tour. I don't think I was ever cut out to be a great putter. For whatever reason, putting doesn't seem to be in my DNA. I can make a living with golf, but poor putting has cost me literally millions of dollars. It really takes the fun out of the game for me. Story three that does fit the six guidelines. I think I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to putting. My inner voice is far too negative and jaded when it comes to this aspect of my golf. I need a complete reset. I've mastered nearly everything in professional golf. I know I can become an outstanding putter as well. Here is my prediction. I'm going to become one of the best putters on the tour because I'm willing to invest the energy and the time to make it happen. I know I have the ability. I've just got to get out of my own way, mentally and emotionally. And I'm excited to get the ball rolling in a new way. And again, the action here for you. I want you to pick another issue you're struggling with. And I want you to write a constructive story in your journal 
that applies to that problem and using the six guidelines for really constructive storytelling. And I want you to read it frequently and help you develop a great story around this aspect of your game that has been giving you trouble. Story four, it's about basketball. Here are the indisputable facts. Your team's coach uses fear, threats, and intimidation to motivate his players. He's a renowned coach because of his winning record. He refers to you as rabbit-hearted and pretty boy. The coach picks on you more than any other player. And here's story four that does not fit the guidelines. I hate the coach. Because of him, I'm starting to hate the sport I've loved my entire life. He destroys my belief in myself and my confidence. He should be fired. How such a person could ever become a head coach is beyond me. He's ruining my life. Here's a story that does fit the six guidelines. I've always had positive and respectful coaches in my life. Maybe it's made me too soft. My coach is like a drill sergeant in the Marines. I think he picks on me because I'm not tough enough, or at least he thinks that's true. Maybe I have something to learn about myself from him. He will never prevent me from loving to play my sport. If I can handle him, I can handle any coach that I will ever have in the future. You can sense the difference between these stories and where they take you. Again, I want you to pick an issue that you've been struggling with, and I want you to create a new story, a story that is consistent with the guidelines that were laid out here, and I want you to write it out by hand or print, and I want you to read it often. Okay, now, step five. Carefully screen all incoming and outgoing messages and information. One's inner voice is the gatekeeper to what I've referred to as command central. Once incoming data reaches command central, the door to influence is open and everyone wants access. Your parents, coaches, teammates, teachers, religious leaders, TV commercials, car dealerships, and on and on. Everyone wants access because they want to influence you in some way. So the issue was how do you keep harmful, false, distorted, defective data from gaining entry and impacting your inner coaching voice, your Yoda? If the data your inner voice is referencing to help you get through challenging moments during competition or in life in general, if it's faulty or contaminated, the advice you give yourself will likely be compromised, contaminated, and misguided as well. For instance, if repeated messages from parents or coaches that you don't really have what it takes, you're a loser, a choker, if those get past the gate, even though they were said to you to help you kind of muscle up and become stronger as a result of it, if those messages get past the gate, your inner coaching voice may speak to you in the same dysfunctional way when things get rough when you're struggling, when your back is against the wall. You really have three options when it comes to controlling your gate. Number one, you don't listen at all and deny access completely. 
Number two, you listen and you deny access completely. Number three, you listen and grant access. And you do so because you're pretty certain this is good information for you to be referencing in your competitions and in general life. Here are some important questions to ask yourself. Who should be given unlimited access to your command central because they only want the best for you and have always proven to be a great advisor? Who do you have to be careful about? Who has not always proven to be a trusted advisor? And who should always be denied access? You might listen, but they just don't gain entry into this command center area of control. So what's the answer to keeping your command central from contamination? You've got to be aware, on guard, and scan everything before you open the gate. Say stop to yourself when you recognize you're getting bad coaching advice from yourself or others. Just say stop to yourself. You can say it publicly, but more often you'll say it privately. No. Everyone has the ability to respectfully listen, but silently deny access. Activate that capacity when it's needed. The goal is to keep the space between your ears free from harmful data so that your inner voice, your Yoda, is coaching you as effectively as humanly possible. Step six, establish clear navigational coordinates for your inner coach to follow in advising you. Here is the essential question. What is your inner voice referencing when coaching you? What information is being tapped into for advising you? Let's use the navigation system in your car to highlight what's important in getting where you want to go. Three things are necessary for your nav system in your car to work properly. First, the exact location that you wish to go to must be loaded in. Your intended destination must be clear and precise or the system can't take you there. The second requirement is that the exact location where you are now needs to be established. This is done by GPS, Global Positioning System where at least four orbiting satellites zero in on what your position is right now. And number three is some kind of action. You have to expend energy, expend energy to close the gap. When these three conditions are met in your nav system, Siri can be a valuable and trusted coach. The same conditions are true for your inner coaching voice as well. Analogous to Siri in our lives is Yoda, your own decision advisor. As a side note, how would you feel if every time you made a wrong turn, Siri would chastise you? What's the matter with you? Are you stupid? Get your act together. When you make a wrong turn or a bad decision, Siri's response is simply, recalculating, make a U-turn in 600 feet, and so forth. So let's look again at how we equip Yoda with the right navigational coordinates. The first is the destination. There are really two things to consider here. One is your purpose for playing competitive sport, and the other is your ultimate purpose for living, 
your wife for being alive. And from my experience, the two must be completely aligned. For example, maybe your ultimate purpose in life might be to become an extraordinary person of high integrity, kindness, and resilience, and inspiration to others. And your purpose for playing your sport should clearly enhance and support that life purpose. Here might be a purpose for sport that aligns to that life purpose. To leverage the sport experience to help me become an extraordinary person of integrity, kindness, and resilience, and inspiration to others. The second condition is where I am now. What is the truth? Some of the issues to face are, what's the truth about your integrity now? What's the truth about your kindness now? What's the truth about your resilience now? And in what way can sport help you grow in those competencies, in those assets? And then the last one, what can I do to close the gap? What action must I take? The central issue is using competitive sport to raise the levels of integrity, kindness, resiliency, and inspiration in whatever way possible. By doing so, you ensure that your sport participation and your life purpose are fully aligned. From my experience, by this alignment, you'll experience greater fulfillment in your personal life and in your sport. You'll have less competitive stress and you'll have much more competitive success. Step eight, we'll explore this in more detail. Step seven, control what you can and let the rest go during your competitive battles. Fear and anxiety are most often the primary things you struggle with in controlling during competition. One of the big secrets to being a great competitor from my experience is restricting your focus to things you can control. You can't control whether you win or lose. If you could, you would never lose. Whether you play to your absolute best or whether you experience challenges with nerves. Once competition starts, the only three things that are within your control are your attitude, which you can control, positive and constructive no matter what, your effort, you give your full and best effort regardless of the outcome, and the tone and the content of your inner voice coaching. You can control that. By focusing on getting A's on these three things, your chances of playing to your full potential are significantly increased and your competitive anxiety will be reduced because you are focusing on things that are within your control. And step eight, getting home, defining ultimate success. Getting home is simply ending up at the end of your life where you feel you must to be a real success in your life. Think of it as your ultimate mission in life, the mission for which failure is not an option. Put another way, it's your ultimate purpose for living, your why for being alive. I love Mark Twain's quote, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why. It's important to understand that your ultimate mission, your why, is never static, never fixed, but always evolving and refining. You never get it 100%, but you're always working to get your destination exactly right 
because so much is at stake. The point here is that your inner coaching voice should always reference this coordinate in all of your important decisions. Your competitive sport experience should help you get home, help you achieve ultimate success of your life, whether you become a phenomenal world-class competitor or not. Your sport should help you find ways to become a stronger, better person and ultimately get where you want to be at the end of your life. The best exercise I have found for determining where home is, I call the tombstone exercise. It is covered in considerable detail in our latest book, which I co-authored with Sheila Olson, entitled Wise Decisions. Set aside about 30 minutes of quiet, uninterrupted time for reflection. Consider what you most want inscribed on your tombstone to reflect who you actually were when you were alive. The words carved in stone represent your highest priorities in representing what a truly successful life means to you. You may choose six to eight separate words or alternately a couple of short sentences. In your soulful deliberation, consider society's scorecard for success in life, such as wealth, fame, achievement, privilege, and so on. Do any of these actually get carved on your tombstone? What my experience is, bit, they don't make the cut. They are a priority, but not in the highest sense. Now think about being a loving father or mother, son or daughter. Consider any moral or ethical character strengths like integrity or kindness, loyalty, humility, compassion, caring, gratefulness, or generosity. Will any of these make the cut? Here is the critical understanding. The words you finally choose to most accurately reflect how you want to be remembered in your life is getting home for you. Whether this is your first or your tenth attempt to get this life coordinate right, you must continue to check the accuracy and overarching precision of what you have determined to be home for you. Getting this is vital because it will become the filter through which all of your critical decisions and choices in competitive sport and in life are made. And just as your car's navigation system requires a precise address, so does your Yoda. Once determined, getting home will be the single most important set of operating instructions to be programmed in to your command center. And finally, step nine, train your inner voice every day for the rest of your life. Every day represents another opportunity to improve the accuracy and the wisdom of your inner coaching voice. Because so much is on the line. Use competitive sport to clean up that space between your ears to ensure the voice that no one hears but you becomes a trustworthy, brilliant advisor. This is hard, demanding work, and we will never be finished in our quest to become the best coach to ourselves that we can possibly be. Competitive sport will be a priceless gift if it becomes a powerful tool for getting home in life, for living a life of true success defined by you. 
I am hopeful that the concepts presented in this podcast resonate with you. And if they do, commit to listening to it several times. Take notes in your journal of all the key concepts that will help you and your inner coaching go to the next level of excellence. Thanks for listening. You can contact me on my website at jim-lair, that's L-O-E-H-R.com, or on my LinkedIn site under my name. I wish you all the best in your efforts to become the best possible coach to yourself that you could ever be. Thank you.